Father, today in your house there are seekers who have come seeking you, seeking for a word from you. And all those who have come seeking, you have a word for them. For your God who always speaks to his children. You alone have the words of life. Speak, Father, this morning. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Discipline us. We just release the word to be spoken into your hands. Spirit of God, use it for your glory. Let Christ be lifted up through the ministry of the word. That all men and women and children may be drawn to him and to him alone. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. Last Sunday, if you were there, if not, the message is there online. We were looking at the parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaid, and we saw that when uh, Jesus is coming out of the temple, the disciples point out to the magnificent buildings over there, which starts the whole Olivet discourse. That leads to the disciples privately coming to Jesus and asking him this question, Lord, when are you coming and what are the signs of your coming? So from there begins chapter 24, verse 4 onwards, you have the all the signs and we see it all happening and we know that labor pains have begun. We know his coming is close. All that excites us. Then he moves in to three different stories. One, he talks about the evil servant. When the master delayed, he shows his true nature. Then you see the bridegroom delays. And then in the midnight hour when the bridegroom comes, you see five of the virgins are locked out. They do not have oil. Their lamps go out. And five are termed foolish, five are termed wise, because the five wise were ready. Then you have the next parable of the talents, where you see again, the master took a long time in coming, but when he comes, he finds two faithful at their post, and have brought profit to the master, to the kingdom, while one makes use excuses for his evil and a lazy attitude, and is condemned to outer darkness. So we have to put all this together, but we are not looking at that, but basically, when the Lord delays, when Jesus fails to appear at a time we expect in our life, What happens to us? I'm not just talking about the second coming. Even in other ways, we have so many prayer requests. So many prayer requests. For healing, for a job, for provision, for an alliance, for marriage partner, all this. But what happens if Jesus doesn't turn up at your appointed time when he delays? Which way will we go? You know, King Saul's downfall began because the prophet Samuel, therefore God, did not come at the time he expected. That's where. And then he moved in and took matters into his own hands. And you will see so many people in the Bible like that. Okay. What if the Lord delays and he is 
delaying for one reason alone because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Okay, those who are outside to get them in, those who are in to finish the race, therefore the father delays the coming of his son. Therefore we saw last week the thing we need most is patience. Patience. Okay, therefore patience is an incredible virtue throughout the Bible, especially in the new covenant. And we are asked to model after the ancient saints who through patience possess the promises of God. Patience. So in all these cases, we saw there was, there is a delay. But in one case, we saw one group was ready. We saw what produces patience last week. We saw if you have faith, genuine, true faith, you have patience. That is why God allows our faith to be tested. To see that we have that patience to wait for God to do things in his time. Faith produces patience. Then scripture says love is patient. So love produces patience. We also saw at the end of the message last week that you can have all the perfect works of faith. Yet the Lord is not Pleased because he is not coming for a doctrinally correct church. He is coming for a wife. So you will see that in the case in book of Revelation, the first church, it's an absolutely sound church, the church in Ephesus. And they are perfect in their ways except for one. They were not perfect in love. And God says that one thing, because of that one thing, I'm going to take what from your midst? Your light. Remember the five foolish? The light went out. When did the light go out? Or why did the light go out? Because they did not perfect themselves in love. So we saw last Sunday, I'm just giving you a recap. Faith and love produces patience. In faith, I would like to simplify it for the younger ones. By faith, I mean trust. That's what faith means. Remember? To trust somebody. That's why the entire Bible in detail is so that as we meditate upon it and go through the lives of others and start experiencing God, we trust Him more and more and more. And these two are fundamentals in life. Because everybody is looking for somebody they can trust and somebody they can love. And if both of them go together, it's an awesome combination. And unfortunately, there is only one like that. And his name is Jesus. You can trust him with all your heart. You can love him with all your heart. He will not let down your trust. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. And he's the only one who can do it. So that patience of waiting for the Lord. When we use the term patience, remember there's a patience in the world, a human, carnal, intellectual, whatever patience is there. The Bible is not talking about that patience. The Bible uses the term, the patience of Christ, meaning even that is a spiritual fruit manifested in our lives. It is not man's patience. It is the patience of God that is birthed in us through Christ Jesus. In Romans 15 and verse 5, God is called the God of patience. Now may the God of patience is called the God of patience. That's his nature. He's very patient, very, very long-suffering. That's why we are all sitting here and I'm preaching. 
Why? Because he's extremely patient with us and he hasn't locked us up. God of patience. In Revelation 1 and verse 9, John says, 1 and verse 9, Revelation 1 and verse 9, John talks about, I, John, both your companion, brother and companion, in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So in Romans, Paul calls it God of patience. And in Revelation, John experiences that patience has the patience of Jesus Christ, the last of the apostles. I'm sure he had not given up in terms of given up on anything, but basically he thought he's just waiting to die. Meaning, my work is over. I'm probably he's in his late 80s, early 90s, exiled to Patmos. There is no sign of being released. My work is done. And... uh, patiently waiting there to die and go. Yet, at his task. If you are alone in an island, nobody there, no fellowship, no believer, no church, nobody to encourage you, and on a Sunday morning, what will you do? Have a one-man choir, a one-man prayer team, and a one-man preaching, and a one-man congregation. That's what he was. Because scripture says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. You don't need a company to persevere in the things which you know you need to do because God is true. In the patience of Christ. Okay, so we are talking about a patience which is not of man, which is of God. It is that patience that makes us wait. Yet be prepared and ready when he comes. Human patience has its own limitations. Saul must was patient. It doesn't say he did it on the first day or the first hour. He was patient. You have to accept that he was patient. He waited till the day, last day. And then on the last day, last hour, he was looking, looking, looking. Samuel didn't come. And then he said, okay, let me offer the sacrifice. As soon as he offered, Samuel came. So it is not that he didn't have the patience. Okay? It is He didn't have the patience of Christ. And God tries to see that we have that patience because that's an incredible virtue which God's children need to have. That's why in the Bible you will see uh, all the godly women chosen by God to bear the seed through whom Jesus Christ would come are all barren. Strange, right? Sarah is barren. Why? To see if she will have the patience to wait for the time of God. She didn't have 10 years. 10 years later she messed up and she tell, take Hagar. And Isaac marries Rebecca. Perfect girl. And next thing you hear she's barren for 20 years. Not 10, now 20. But she's smart. She waits for 20 years. Isaac also prays and fasts for 20 years. See patience have worked in Isaac. And in Rebecca, and at the 20th year, they have twins. So you will see patience is important, but it is the patience of Christ. That's why our faith is tested, so that we will have patience. Because patience is also got to do with timing. God has a specific timing for everything in each of his children's life. And so many of us are in a mess, because we did not wait for God's timing. 
we especially ladies will always use this word my biological clock is ticking but god has another clock you go by that you won't have trouble in life then hurry to get married but god has a time and a place and a person because it's connected with his perfect will we miss out on patience and his timing because we never enter into his perfect will because to enter into his perfect will a condition is met that you need to surrender first offer your body with that biological clock offer that body as a living sacrifice renew your mind with the word of god and you will know what is the pleasing acceptable perfect will of god god has that timing because i've connected with his will god always moves in his time line and he he cannot be pushed and as his children we need to know and move in that and it is through patience that saints possess the promises of god you know jacob uncle jacob in the bible jumped the gun did not wait for god to move and took matters into his own hands at his mother's prodding The blessing was his but it should come in God's ways in God's time he jumped and he taught a hard lesson by God in his father-in-law so as I keep telling this it's a it's a stale joke but it's a good joke meaning if a man is hard-hearted to make him humble God puts him in his father-in-law's house to making meek and lowly where is entirely dependent upon his father in law if you look at these two characters in the bible who had to live in their father in law's house at the end of their life they had only one thing they brought with them from their father's house what was that the stick both moses and jacob 20 years so you knew he was a hard nut to crack so 20 years the harder nut to crack was not jacob it was moses it took god 40 years to humble him in his father in law's house but to both of them 20 years up with jacob time has come god will say your time is come arise and go 40 years is up god will appear to moses and said enough of excuses arise and go your time has come now move you are ready Please remember God has timing that's why we need to be patient. 13 years was the time set by God for Joseph as a slave and as a prisoner. At the 11th year Joseph thought his time had come. He was so excited because he said the dreams and the dreams were interpreted absolutely perfectly. The cupbearer is released and he thought now he will go tell the pharaoh, "Yes, there is this awesome guy. Please set him out." But he forgot. It was not deliberate it was intentional by god because he needed two more years before he was ready for god's purpose so there is a time set by god and there was a time set by god for his son to come the first time scripture says in the fullness of time jesus came born of a woman fullness of time 4000 years you can't push god and there is a time set by god for the second coming of jesus please remember that there is a time set all the warnings are connected with it and the reason being this why warnings there was not warnings connected with the first coming of jesus christ it is all hope 
and comfort and mercy and all that is with the first coming. Second coming, it's all warning. Why? The reason being that with the second coming, judgment begins. And it will be the most terrifying part in human history. Bible says there is absolutely no comparison to it. That even Hitler's Nazi Germany would look like a joke compared to what will come. When finally God says, time is up. Therefore, the patience of God. And that patience comes with love and with faith, both. For this to understand this, we need to see a couple of things about God's nature today. Okay, and then we get into the main main core of the message. Why love? Why faith? In 1 John 1 5, scripture says this. 1 John 1 5. This is the message we have heard from him and I declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What's the first thing you see here? God is? Now does that mean God is light? So when God says he is light, what does he mean? That's why people take it literally and all the gods have these big lights behind their head. That's not what he's talking about. And that's why men and women start worshipping the sun because it is light. But that's not what God means. When God says he is light and in him is no darkness at all, what does it mean God is light? What is this light? It is his righteousness. That's why Hebrews 1.8, I didn't give you the references to the son, he said. The scepter of your throne is. To the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. What is this light? It's his righteousness. And what did Jesus say? I am the light of this world. That is his righteousness. When he said, I am the light of the world, did you see any rays coming out? No. So what did he mean by I am the light of the world? He says, there is a righteousness that is of man. There is a righteousness that is of law. And I am the true righteousness of God. I am the light of the world. And then to all those who receive him, he says, now you become that light of that world. So when God says, he is light. He's talking about righteousness. I am the light. And in his righteousness, there is absolutely no darkness, no injustice, no unrighteousness, no evil at all. He is light and there is no darkness at all. So what does God ask us? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, that is light. To walk in light means to walk in righteousness. It's not putting on all the lights in your house and say, I'm walking in light. No, walk in righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, in his righteousness. That is light. So God is right. He is righteous. And all his ways are righteous. He's the absolute perfection of what righteousness is. And it is to that we are called and that to practice and to walk and grow in it. And then in 1 John 4, 8, scripture says, For God is love. God is light. God is love. When we say God is love, it is different from every love that we know. 
and we are totally confused. That's the same with righteousness. When we say God is light, God is righteous, we are confused because we say there are so many righteous people. But Jesus says, I'm not talking about that righteousness, I'm talking about the righteousness of God. And he will say, unless you come to that righteousness, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that righteousness is found only in Christ. Then when God says, God is love, it is, it's, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. Even to understand what it means, God is love. Because in all human love, there is something we see in the other person. Isn't it true? Today I want to focus on this. Okay? On this. Not on God is righteous. That part we will come another week. We need to look at this one. Because if you talk about love, everybody will wake up. Especially the young young ones. Today is not Valentine's Day, but God is love. But the problem with human love is that when we say we love somebody, it is also because we saw something in somebody and that somebody can meet something in us. Otherwise, we don't love. Something good, something pleasing, something. Little or more, something attracts us. That is why we love, we fall in love. It's a fall, fall in love. Okay. Never in English or anywhere uh, in the Bible or anywhere do you see he rose in love. It's always fall in love, right? Except the love of God. When somebody experiences the love of God, they don't fall, they rise. So the human love and God's love, you cannot compare it. It's not possible to compare it. So we need to go through scripture to see what does it mean when it says God is love. Because human love, every form of human love, there is self-involved. There is something that pleases me. Paul in his major doctrinal text given by the Spirit of God in Romans will show the incredible, incomprehensible love of God in three statements. First, in Romans 5.8, he says, For God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Meaning, it's not that when sinners, Christ loved us, It's not Christ served us. To the extreme, Christ died for us. Now when we look at it, we are so familiar with all these terms that, let me explain to you because like I said, so many young people. See in your your mind's eye, three mothers with three babies. One mother has got this cute, good looking, chubby little baby, like most of the, all, all of our babies at the back. So cute, so cute. That's what we say, right? She's got this cute little baby. And we love that baby. We love picking it. We love carrying it. Because that baby is so cute. The second mother has this baby that is very smart. Very smart. And we will always look on you know, That baby is so smart. In one case, we want to show off the baby and we also feel good when we carry the baby because we get second attention. I'm carrying that cute baby. Okay? Applied glory. 
this first case. Second case, we have this smart baby. So they may think by accident he also may be smart. That's why he's carrying a smart baby. In the third case, there is this mother with a terribly deformed baby. All its limbs are twisted. Its face is so grotesque, so terrible. You will turn away. There was a picture of a baby in the paper yesterday. That baby is just a few years old, but it's got the face of an old man. And the doctors have no reason why that baby looks like that. And last time when I was in Jamshedpur, one of the parents who had come for the meeting, Brought a baby like that. Looked so old. Small baby. It's a very strange kind of a disease for which the baby actually dies. I think that baby died. It didn't survive. So this is a terrible looking baby the third mother has. All twisted. Looks terrible. But she loves him. And cares for him. Now if you actually look at these three mothers... Whose love is the most genuine? The third, right? Because the first one has some reasons and always get this coming. Oh, you know, that one has got a cute baby, cute baby. Second one, you say, that one's got a smart baby. The third one, everybody says, poor thing. But she loves the baby. She loves the baby. The problem is, when we read this scripture, we do not see ourselves in the light of what we really look like in heaven's view. We are the absolutely marred by sin, the most deformed, grotesque looking creatures on earth. The worst animal looks better than us in the spirit because they haven't been marred by sin like we are. We are the worst looking creatures walking on planet earth. And God looks down at her and says, I love you. I love you. You need to realize that is true. Absolutely marred spiritually. If God were to really show us spiritually what we were like before Christ found us and we received him we would understand all these good looks and talents and smartness in the eyes of heaven was nothing. We were terrible, terrible in the sight of heaven. Problem? Because we see ourselves as cute babies and smart babies, therefore we never truly appreciate God's love for us and never really love him the way we should. That's the problem. We'll come back to that later. But remember, in the gospel according to Luke, there is this story about Jesus in a Pharisee's house who was called Simon. He had invited Jesus for a meal. And uh, when he's there at the home, a woman comes. And she's a sinner. We don't know what her sin is. We don't know what her sin is. It was something terrible because everybody was embarrassed that she came into that house. And she started crying. She was weeping and she was washing his feet with her tears and wiping it with his hair. And Simon was so offended saying, doesn't he know what kind of a woman he is? He's thinking in his heart he's a prophet and he's being untouched by this sinner and all that. And Jesus makes 
a statement. We'll come back to that later. He makes us say, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. If you really, really, truly from your heart wants to love God, then ask God to show the depravity of ourselves. How inherently wicked, double-minded, filthy we are in our hearts. Then we look and say, you know, Lord, you love me. This is what I am. I really love you. If you can love me. But the problem is most of us are like Simon. We don't see ourselves as sinful and as marred by sin as the others. We see always, I mean, honestly, check check hearts, your own heart. You don't really think you're as bad as the one who needs to be saved. You really think that I'm not so bad. I don't think I'm so bad. But you need to realize in God's eyes, neither looks, nor power, nor wealth or wisdom can take away the sin-marred nature. Nothing can take it away except, as we sang, the blood of Jesus. Nothing can take it away. It doesn't matter if you're the wisest man, the most talented man, the most powerful man, the most good-looking man. Inside, it's a different story altogether. That's why God tells through the prophet Samuel, man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart and he says the heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it that's how God sees us and the thing is that he loves us in spite of it we really need to see ourselves in heaven's sight because after the fall the unsaved man after the fall we, the unsaved man, who was originally created in the image of God, actually resembles more the devil than God. And he's very clear about it. He looks at the Pharisees and says, your father, your father, the devil, he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. He's very clear. He says, you really, you think you're looking with your big robes and all this pious look. You know who your father is? Do you know you who you look like inside? Who Whose character you are imitating? Whose nature you actually have? He says, you have the nature of the devil. Actual devil. You're deceivers. All deceivers. When the devil came over there, he walked. He didn't come with a horn and tail and all that. He came. He was good looking. Smooth voice. But he says, his children you are. We resemble, before the salvation, we resemble the devil more than God the Father. And if we don't see ourselves as we really are, we will never see the greatness of our salvation. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, if we ignore such a great salvation, what is the price he paid to save somebody? I mean, these old timers, when they wrote those hymns, they understood the depths of what is the price you paid that to save a wretch like me? The writer of Romans, Paul says, somebody would may die for a righteous man. May. For a good man. But Christ died for us when we were sinners. Did we see that? This is what I really am, was, before I met Christ and he died for me. A sinner. That's, that's why I said the three illustrations. Look at yourself spiritually, absolutely deformed and marred by sin. And God says, I love you. I love you. God loved us in Christ. God forgives us. 
And that was possible only by one way. Christ had to die in our place. That's why 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. No, no, no. You're getting it all wrong. Mixed up. 4. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God. But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not that we loved God. We didn't love him. Nobody loved None of us loved God. No. The truth is that we wanted to do everything with every other God except this God. Except this God. He loved us. We didn't love him. But when we were yet sinners, yet sinners, when we were yet sinners, he sent his son and he came and died for us. That's the first part of God's love which we need to understand, which is not the way we love. We have to love somebody. We need to get something, at least one pat, before we can say, yeah, I love that one, but not God. Now in the third case of the mother who loves and cares and pours her out of life, carrying that deformed child, you need to understand, she herself is marred by sin. She herself is marred by sin. So there are limits to her love. That's why Isaiah 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of a womb? Surely they may forget. He says they will. There is a limit to the most loving mother. That's why all these abandoned children. In one of our homes for the special needs children, there is one child which is my favorite. And they all ask me, why do you love that much? I said, because when that came, that's the one nobody wanted to look at her face because she was the most marred one. And she was abandoned and picked up from a dustbin outside a police station before the dogs killed her. And if you looked at her face when she came, you didn't want to look twice. Today, of course, she's the most cute looking one. But for me, in my mind, that's how God has changed us from that to this in the spirit. God says, even that mother's love, compassion has limits. So many millions and millions of mothers have abandoned their children. Left them. But God says, I will not. Surely they may forget. I will not forget you. Don't, where did you remember me? He says, look at the cross. I remembered you. Because self-preservation comes finally millions and millions of abandoned children because the love of a mother also has its limits. But God says, I will not. And the cross is a daily reminder to us, I did not forget you. There was nothing in us that could attract us to God. There was no need in God that we could meet. He is self-sufficient. You need to understand this. God has no needs. He is complete in himself. So God is not loving you and me to meet a need in himself. Second, there is nothing in us 
that could attract him to us. Can you understand the love of Christ as opposed to the love of man? That's why we need an opening of our eyes to understand what is this love of God and why were these five ready? Five ready. In the third case, mother, third case, that child that is deformed, imagine the child is not only deformed and looks terrible to the eye, but it is also totally helpless. It is blind, it is deaf, it's totally incapable of taking care of itself, meaning it's totally useless. Forget helping others, it has no strength to be useful to itself. That's what Romans 5, 6 will say. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. Not only we were sinners, not only we were ungodly, we had no strength at all. We were totally helpless. Every parent sitting here and every one of any of your parents have dreams and hopes. You know what, my child is so smart, you know, you know, when this grows up, you know, and the minute it starts growing a little up, we start making it work. Now bring that, get that, put that, you see. This child has no strength at all. Absolutely powerless. Absolutely powerless. Deformed, grotesque, in the spirit, absolutely powerless in the spirit, nothing. We don't see that, that ourselves that way, right? We think, oh no, I can do a lot of things. God, Jesus says, look here, honey, without me, you can do nothing in the kingdom. Absolutely nothing in God's kingdom. You cannot do anything because you have no power, no strength to do anything, including saving yourself. You cannot. God, angels, demons, man. Of this, man is the weakest and the most powerless of them all. The only reason man rules over animals is because animals don't have intelligence. If they had our intelligence, they would rule over us. A swarm of bees is enough. You read yesterday's paper, F-22 Raptor, America, the world's most advanced airplane, fighter airplane, was stalled because the beehive got on it. So what's the point in spending $300 million for an aircraft and a hive? A bunch of bees can ground you. If these animals have intelligence, the way we have, they will rule us. The only reason we rule over them is not because we have more power, but because we have been given brains. So remember, we are the most powerless. Left to himself, God doesn't have to do anything. Man will self-destruct himself ultimately. That's why God calls Israel in Isaiah 41 and verse 14, Fear not, you worm. Can you start crawling a little? Then you will know what we really are in God's eyes. How many of you love a worm? My wife likes squashing them. Have you ever looked at a worm and says, I will help you, I love you, I will redeem you. 
He says, your redeemer, you worm, Jacob, I am your redeemer. I am your redeemer. It's not just I love you or I like you. Because there are people who collect us worms who love like worms. But he's not talking about, he says, I am your redeemer, you worm, Jacob. That's how God sees, actually, as he says, I know what you are, you're just worms. Powerless. But you know what? I want to redeem you. The Holy One of Israel wants to redeem you and make you like me. Can we understand that love? Can we? We can understand the Buddhist reasoning, meaning kill nothing. Right? So the very devout Buddhist will be very careful how he walks. Once I was driving in a taxi in Bhutan in the early morning and the driver was going zigzag, zigzag. I said, what's wrong? He says, worms. Because he's been taught in his religion not to kill anything. So he's driving to avoid the worms. But can you redeem the worm? Will anybody die for a worm? You may not kill a worm. The question is, will you die for a worm? So God says, you are enemies of God. You are absolutely powerless. And Christ Jesus came and died for us. Now, third scene. This child who looks terrible, who is powerless to do anything, but has got good teeth and good nails. So if you try to help it, it will bite you. It is the most ungrateful a nasty little piece you have ever seen. How long would you tolerate it? And imagine this mother has an enemy. The problem is whenever that enemy comes, the child smiles. This enemy loves the mother with every fiber of her being. But whenever that enemy passes by or comes, the child is very happy. And gives that enemy all the attention. What would you do with a child like that? Romans 5.10 says, For when we were enemies of God, what were we? Enemies of God. We were not only sinners, we were not only powerless, but we were enemies of God. We were enemies of the only one who loves us. Enemies of the only one who loves us more than life itself. We were enemies of God. Question, did did we ever see ourselves that way? Because I have seen when things go wrong in all these years with people, when things go wrong, nobody is angry with the devil. Everybody is angry with God. Where does evil come from? God or the devil? Scripture says God is not even tempted by evil. So who is the originator of evil? The devil or God? Devil. Agreed? Then why is everybody angry with God? Why did you allow it? God says, Hello? You called him into your house and you are blaming me. I sat with him for supper and you are blaming me. I told you very clearly in the beginning, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses, you choose and choose life. 
He said, if you listen to my voice and obey my commands, the promises, the blessings of God will always pursue you and overtake you. He said, you chose to call my enemy home. But we don't see it that way. Though the devil has never done one good thing for us, and everything that happens, good that happens in our life is because of the mercy and goodness and kindness of God. The fact is that, do we really love God? It is to such kind of people, the enemies, the sinners, the powerless, and the enemies of God, God sent His only Son. This is redemptive love. And there is another side to God's redemptive love which is even more interesting. God does not just redeem us. Remember Joseph? Joseph was sold by his brothers and he was brought to Egypt. And whichever city it was, he was standing on the slave block. He could be redeemed. Meaning he could be bought. Potiphar came and he looked and he saw nice young man and he redeemed him. He bought him. But he redeemed him and made him a slave in his house. If you look at Joseph in Potiphar's palace, looks good, dresses well, eats well, he's got authority, he's got a good job, he's very good in his work, but at the end of the day, what is he? A slave. He didn't redeem us and make us a slave. He didn't redeem us and make us a slave. He didn't redeem us and put us in an orphanage. Yes, orphanages, some orphanages, you eat well, you dress well, but at the end of the day, you are still an orphan. You have caretakers. Right? But God redeems us and you know what he says? In 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called. What? Not the slaves. Not the orphans in his home. That be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world will not know us. Why are we sitting here on a Sunday morning? Why are we so excited during worship? I hope you are excited during worship time. Our excitement all comes because of who he is and what he is to us and what he has done for us. That's where our excitement for worship comes. Because we see ourselves, you know what? I was a worm. There was nothing good in me and I was his enemy and he actually died and made me his son. A young man visited a very vibrant church and he was watching the people worship so animatedly and he was very disturbed and he went back home and when the pastor visited him that day, he was sitting at home watching cricket. So, when he was watching cricket, some Dhoni or Sachin or somebody hit a six and he jumped and he clapped. Then he saw the pastor and said, Pastor, why does in your church these people also jump and clap and dance and all during that singing time? So the pastor asked him, why did you jump when Sachin hit a six? He said, that is sportsman spirit. He said, well, the other one is called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we cannot stop jumping when we know what he has done for us and made us. 
made us, not just done for us, made us. Scripture says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. He says, you still don't know what you will be one day. We do not know. We are still caught inside this body. But we reveal be what we shall be. What we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You are not a slave. You are not a servant. You are not even an orphan. God says, you are a son. You are a daughter of the living God. Are we getting the picture? In Luke 7, what we saw that forgiveness alone with that woman. Not redemption. Forgiveness alone created such an outpouring of love in that woman. He hadn't redeemed her. I don't know who this woman is. Nobody knows who this woman is. We don't know why. Is she the woman who was caught in adultery? We don't know who this woman is. What was she? What did she do that everybody knows she's a terrible sinner? Forgiveness alone. He just forgave her. That alone brought an outpouring of love. She's not even been redeemed. Are you getting the picture? Do you remember when Jesus went to see the Samaritan woman? Right? First she addresses him as Jew. Then she calls him sir. Then she says prophet. And then finally she encounters him in chapter 4 and verse 29. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You have to read it very carefully. Come see a man. What did she mean? He says, I have met many men in this city. Everyone told me what I am and what I have done. But this man also told me all that I did differently. Is he the Christ? Because he didn't come to condemn. He came to redeem. Everybody will tell you everything you have done. Christ also will tell you everything that you have done. But when he does, he doesn't come to condemn. He comes to redeem. You remember? What a God. What a God. We need to see ourselves as God really sees us and loves us. We see Mary Magdalene. Always. Even in the prayer, we want to sit at his feet. Why? Why do you want to sit at his feet? We see him, her sitting at his feet. We see her serving him. We see her at the crucifixion. Every place you will see Mary Magdalene is mentioned. She's there. When his body is brought down and being taken for burial, we see she's following it and she's watching where it is being buried. Then on resurrection Sunday morning, she's the first one and the last one to leave. First one to be there and the last one to leave. Why? Answer is given in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. A certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. One reason. Seven demons. She was perfectly possessed. And he set her free. 
and therefore she loved him much. She saw from where God had lifted her up. Do we see ourselves like Mary? Everybody sitting here, everyone without fail, has been delivered from demonic oppression. Nobody found Christ in the womb. Everybody found Christ afterwards. And if you found Christ afterwards, you were demon possessed. You were oppressed by demons. You were set free by him like he set free Mary. The question is, do we love him like Mary loved him? Do we realize from where he has set us free? We sometimes even experience our freedom without even understanding where this freedom came from. That's why I have an issue with young people because they do not, tomorrow is August 15, they do not even know Gandhi's full name. Or the leaders who brought us freedom. Look to the west, north, south, all of India, Sri Lanka, went through civil war for how many years? Pakistan, what regime they have had all these years? Nepal, fighting with Maoist and the royal. Bhutan, still a monarchy and constitutional. Burma, look all around. We are the only free nation in this whole subcontinent. You know why? Because of our leaders. But do you know them? Do you know their names? Do you know the price they paid? Maybe he did not know Christ as we know Christ. He knew his God, whatever he believed. But when he died, his last word still in blood-soaked last words was Haram. That's how he died. Calling upon the name of his God. Price for our freedom. We walk in liberty in this country. We walk in liberty. There's enormous liberty and freedom in this country. Unlike in most other nations. But do we value that freedom? The same way people sitting in the house of God do not even realize they walk in a freedom, freed from demonic oppression because he set us free. And he's still setting us free because for this purpose the Son of Man came that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do we love him? Do we find it tiring to sit at his feet? Do we find it tiring to serve him? Do we find it tiring to follow his presence where he goes? Do we find tiring to still sing songs of the cross and the blood? Because we don't know what we really were and are apart from Christ. We don't know. That is why God will keep on telling Israel, remember, 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 remember where you came from. God had his own reasons of how he formed Israel. God was planning to use Israel as a model to the whole world. And he told them, I did not pick you up because you were special, because you were strong. I picked you up because you were the weakest. You were a set of slaves for 430 years. I set you free and brought you up. In spite of all your rebellion, God says, as a father carries his son, I carried you in the wilderness and brought you to myself. Did they see it? No, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And often we do not see it too. We were slaves of the devil, sold out to the lust of the flesh and the lust of this world, doomed for eternal destruction. And God in his mercy sent his son to die for us. And then when we put our trust in him, he lifted up and he's still carrying us through. 
And like Israel, one little this thing, we complain. Where is the water? Can God do? Can God do? Can God do? God says, I can. Do you love me? Do you love me? This is the God we serve. There was one man in the Bible in the Old Testament who understood this love of God. That man's name was David. David never forgot from where God had picked him up. Never forgot. Never forgot where God had picked him up. David is towards the end of his life. This is his dream. He wants to build this temple for this God whom he loves. That is his ultimate dream. Because he is the original worshipper in the Bible. He loves writing songs. He loves worshipping. He loves going to the temple. I believe if he had a new covenant man, he would have been after our head saying like, why can't we have meetings every day? Because he liked going to the church. When God told through the prophet, no, you will not build a temple for me. You will see David's reaction in First Chronicles 17 and verses 16 to 19. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. It's awesome. For those who have been here for years, you know we have looked at this in the earlier, but look at it. This is the king. And the king has been denied his greatest desire by God. God says, you will not build my temple. Most of us will get upset. Imagine one of you comes and says, Pastor, you know what? I sing, I really sing well. I have cut CDs also. Can I join the worship team? And I say, no, you cannot. After some time, you'll start thinking, can I go find another church where my talents can be used? You know what he did? He straight away went. And like a commoner sat down before God. And he said, who am I, O Lord? What is my house that you have brought me this far? Because I remember, I've never forgotten where I came from. I remember sitting in the wilderness looking after my father's sheep. Even my father had forgotten me on the greatest day in my house when the prophet came and was looking for somebody to anoint. My own father and mother had forgotten me. You did not forget me. You remembered me. You called me. You anointed me. I know how far you have brought me. Don't forget from where God has brought you. I don't forget. I know where I came from. I know. Don't forget. And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. Just think about it. This man has the rank of the highest degree in that kingdom. And he's saying, but you have regarded me according to the rank of a high degree? Lord, what is this, Lord? You are saying that you will establish my throne through my son and there will be always somebody on my throne. What are these promises, God? I, what are you saying? Did we ever think about that when Jesus comes and says, you know, you worm, I redeemed you, I made you my son, you walk in my spirit, if you overcome as I have overcome, you will sit on my throne as I sat on my father's throne. Did we think think like this? Lord, what is this Lord you are saying? Where did you pick me up from? And you are saying one day I will rule the universe with you. What God are you talking? This is nonsense, not me, are you? That's what he's saying. 
how come we don't see it what is being promised to david us is much greater than what is being promised to david why don't we see this love of god that he did not redeem us to be a slave a servant or even an orphan or not even just a son or a daughter but he says if you overcome you can reign along with me you can reign along with me do we react like this Do we love like this? See, God speaks differently to different prophets, different servants in His Bible, in His Word, when they go wrong, when they sin. So Balaam, who is stubborn as a donkey, has to be spoken by a donkey. Right? Peter, who talks too much, has to be reminded by a rooster. To David it is interesting. David is a man after on God's own heart. And he is a man who really loves God. He is a very loving man. So when he falls so badly, God sends Nathan to him and gives a very beautiful little story. He says, you know what, there was this rich man with all this and this poor man with this little lamb. And he loved this little lamb and he used to be with him all the time. And then a visitor came and the rich man took the poor man's lamb. It cut his God. He said, what? He knew how to get David because he knew in his heart he is a man who loves. That's why you have to read how God deals with different people differently because he knows us better than we know ourselves. As a father deals differently with different children, he deals differently with us. It's not one medicine for all. He doesn't deal with us the same way. And David is broken. Are you getting the picture? David understood. One of, <clears throat> one of those wonderful experiences we see through David. The older ones know it, new ones hear it. <clears throat> David understood God's heart. David lost so much of his life, so much calamity in his life happened because of King Saul, against whom he did no harm. He loved him, he served him, he was loyal to him, but Saul hated him and wanted to kill him. And he lost years, they say up to 14 years of his life was lost because of Saul's enmity. Then Saul is dead by his own hands. David is king. He still has to struggle seven years to get the loyalty of all of Israel. See, on top of running from Saul for so many years and hiding in the Philistine camp for 18 months on top of that. Now seven months he has to wait before all of Israel will anoint him king. Before that only Judah and another tribe. So many years lost. Why? Because of Saul. If you have an enemy like that who has messed you up, you would be mad. But now he's king, everything is in his control, he has established his borders, everything. And scripture says one of the first things he will do as king is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Does he say? He says, is there anybody from the household of so you know, most of them are dead. Almost all of them are dead. He says, is there anybody left? Why? I want to show some kindness to his household because I cannot forget in Saul's house there was one son who was good to me. Is there somebody in his house? 
Somebody in his house. I want to do something. And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness? The kindness of God. I want to show the kindness of God. He says, Someone. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Mark that. Okay, Mark that. Because that's the devil. When God wants to show kindness, does he look at the lameness of your feet? I ask. Let's say I ask. Okay, Peter, you're only Bakra, okay? I ask Peter, Peter, do you know anybody in the church who sings well? And he says, yeah, Shrikar is there, but you know he smokes. Get it? Do you know any good girl in your church for my boy? Yeah, there are so many girls, but you know? Addition. But you know, he's lame in his feet. Meaning, in Ziba's eyes, he's not worthy of any kindness. Why are you paying attention to him? You're a king. He's a lame fellow. Leave him alone. And Ziba must be wondering, what's wrong with this guy? Because every new king who comes in kills of all the sons of the previous king. Because if you have to face any opposition, it is from that family. Finish them off. And this man wants to show kindness. What a man. Verses 5 and 7. 5 to 7. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amel from Lodibar. And Mephisobeth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face, face and prostrated himself. He must have been terrified. He thought, finish. He is called me to execute me. And David said, Mephisobeth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. You see? He says, I'm going to restore everything that belonged to King Saul, your grandfather. Not only that, you will eat at my table like my one of my own sons all the days of your life. Do you see God the Father looking at Jesus and asking everybody, is there anybody here to whom I can show mercy for the sake of Jesus? And the devil says, that fellow, he is lame. That fellow is walking in fornication. That fellow is a gossiper. That fellow is a slanderer. That one lies. That one... And Jesus says, bring them to me. Don't point out all that. I know how to deal with it. But they shall sit at my table. Eat all the days of my life. I tell, when I speak in youth meetings, I tell, you have to imagine King David's dining hall. It's a king's table. Big table. Absalom has come. Have you seen Absalom? Gorgeous looking guy. 
complexion, everything. Adonijah, everybody, Tamar, beautiful girl, all those pretty princesses and princes and all have come. And David also has come and they haven't started because the king has to start before the others can start. And the king hasn't started because he's looking, one chair is empty. And they're waiting and then they hear a sound. The cripple is coming. And God is waiting for that one to take his place at his table. That's why God loved this man. You think about heaven. All the angelic hosts, the cherubims and the seraphims and Michael and Gabriel, all of them. The wedding feast has been postponed. Why? Because the bride hasn't come yet. Who is the bride? The lame, the blind, the poor, the captives, the prisoners. For the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. The gospel is for the poor, the blind, the deaf, the lame. God says, welcome into my house. Oh, we need to see this, experience this love of God. What does he say in verse 8? He says he bowed himself. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He says, why are you even looking at me? I'm just like a dead dog in your sight. Why are you showing this mercy? You know how that chapter ends in verse 13? So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Not from the small little hideout from where he was living all those years. All those years he lived there like a dead dog fearing King David. All these years we live living in fear. And when we find Jesus, Jesus says, come, your appointed place is Zion and you are meant to eat continually at my table. This is what I have called you. We were sinners, powerless, enemies, a set of people that had joined hands with God's own enemy. We were just dead dogs. But the invitation is to come and sit at his table. Do you see the love of God? Unless we understand this, we will not learn to love God back. The answer to love is not works. The answer to love is not more prayer. The answer to love is not more fasting. The answer to love is not more church attendance. The answer to love is only one thing. What is it? Love. That's what God is telling the Ephesians church. I like your work. You are very good. You are perseverant. Your prayer is good. Your fasting is good. Your Bible study is good. Your works are good. But you don't love me. I love you. You don't love me. I don't want any of these things without love. The answer to love is only love. Nothing else. There is no other answer. And God knows we are incapable of it. So he made the first move and says, God loved us. When we were sinners, when we were weak, when we were enemies of God, and it behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we may be called the children of God. And he says, grow. 
Children when they are small, they love their papa and mommy only because of what they can get from them. It's also love. God says, I know that's how you are. All came to the kingdom to see what can I get from you. Now he says, grow. Grow to the maturity of Christ and love me the way I love you. The way I love you. Don't remain as babies. Then God has to deal with us. We don't realize everything that God does in our lives is connected with love. Lord, why is this happening to me? God says, because I love you. Why? Because God says, him or her whom I love, I discipline. I discipline. If you are not disciplined, you are not a child of God. People will look and say, look at that sister. Do you know what trouble she must be going through? She must be a great sinner. God says, no, that is my special child. So more whackings. It's a different perspective from heaven. It's not the same. God says, whom I love, I discipline. The worst thing you can happen on mortal, as a mortal man on earth is like me, be born as the son of a principal and be studying in the same school. Because for everything I did wrong, like any other student, I got double the punishment. And once I asked him, Dad, why is that you spank me so much when I do something which everybody is doing? He said, that's because you are my son. And not just a student. They could lose a notebook and they are called to the assembly and given a scolding. I lose a notebook, I get this. You will think, what is he talking about notebook? Because those days in that country, notebook came only once a year. You cannot afford to lose because there is no uh, supply. He said, you can't lose. You are my son. You can get away like the others can get away. God says, do you realize I deal with you differently? I will feed you. I will dress you. I will take care of you. But Israel, I will discipline you also in the desert. How many nations did more wickedness than Israel? Did God discipline all of them? No, he left them alone. Go, die in your sins. Israel, you are my son. You are not getting away with this. You will not get away with this. Are you seeing the difference? That's what God is talking about. We need to know this God loves us. And he really, 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 really loves us. The problem is faith has works. Love has labor. Faith has works. Love has labor. Faith works can be great works. But love has labor because when you love, it will always cause hurt. C.S. Lewis, if I said, was right that if you never want to be hurt, then don't love. Put yourself in a freezer and lock yourself up your heart. You will never hurt. Because if you choose to love, you will hurt. Therefore, there is labor in love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 scripture says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith. Labor of love. Work of faith. Oh, walk around the walls of Jericho. Walk, walk, walk. Walk. What is that? Work of faith. That's great. After seven days you can stand. I walked and the walls came down. But among that men who walked around, there is one man who will choose the prostitute 
in Jericho as his bride. That was not a work. That was a labor of love. He has to live for the rest of his life among the Israelites knowing that his wife is a Canaanite prostitute redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That is a labor of love. You think all those people were such redeemed, such nice people saying, wow, you married that prostitute? No. That's a labor of love because she had chosen to believe in the blood of Jesus on the day of judgment. The work of faith, but the labor of love. Love has labor. And only love can labor. Hebrews 6.10 Again, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. He says, I will never forget. Labor of love. In faith there can be gain or loss. In love can be loss. And it is incredible labor. Why? Because like God, we are called to love the unlovable. How difficult it is to love the lovable. Imagine, you got a wife when she was brought to you, look like Diana Spencer. She cooks like one of those cooks on the TV show. When she launders your clothes, it comes out as if it came from the dining and the laundry. And oh, your children, you don't even have to worry. She handles them so wonderfully. Is it difficult to love her? That is why don't read fairy tales. They married and lived happily after. That is why every fairy tale ends with that. We'll never show you how they lived. God says, no, I know what you are. Just because you got redeemed, you think... You are a saint now. She is a saint now. You are still worms. You need to change. You need to change. You need to love. And you need to love the unlovable. That's why the love of man won't do. You need the love of God. This is not the love of man. Because in the love of man there is something for us. We love the beautiful, we love the handsome, we love the talented, we love the smart, we love the cheerful, we love the happy. Because there is something in it. But God loves the unlovable. That's why they all flocked around Jesus. That was the light in him. Why do this is a tax collector? Nobody will talk to the tax collector in Israel. Because you are a excommunicated. Because what is a tax collection in Israel? You are a Hebrew who joined with the Romans and you are now taxing your own people and keeping a cut in your pocket. So they are the worst hated. And then the prostitutes. And scripture says all the tax collectors and all the sinners are flocking around Jesus. Why? Because he said, I love you. I don't change the truth for you, but I love you. He loved the unlovable. Well, the Pharisees were going around with their eyes shut. I shouldn't see all these unlovable people. So they had all these bums. Oh, church, the love of God. That is the love of God in Christ that is poured into us. Therefore, we love God. Why? First John 4.19 We love him because he first loved us. And wow, how he has loved us. And we every day if you walk with him, you are experiencing again and again how much 
he loves you have you honestly if you really hear from god when you have repented doesn't matter what you did when you have repented when you have gone to christ and said father forgive me jesus i am sorry have you ever heard him say no he never says no he says okay don't do it again forgive him your father may say no your mother may say no he never says no just i'm sorry okay you can go any number of times he is never tired how can we refuse such love and not love him back like i said the answer to love is only love it is not activities the activities should be empowered by love and that love never fails in first corinthians 13 and verse 8 scripture says love never fails isn't that what everybody is looking for every teenager when they fall in love is hoping no why love is different it will never fail no shuffling cards 5 years later they are with the fourth one what happened now this will not fail you still hope and here is the one who is standing there in icia he says i stood with my hands up outstretched looking for someone who will come and grab me but no one came the one who will never fail you the one who will never leave you israel i stood whole day long with my hands outstretched saying come to me now i want to look for somebody here god says my love never fails god loves the whole world and god loves us and he doesn't love both the same way understand that first thessalonians 1:4 knowing beloved your election by god what does it mean he loves us differently it's not the same he loves his children differently the problem is not with god's love the problem is with his children experiencing his love in john chapter 11 and verse 5 jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus that's the order i believe martha is the eldest and mary is second and lazarus is the third in that family and god put that in order i love you martha i love you mary i love you lazarus he loved them all the same way but they experienced him differently mary loved him more than martha and lazarus because she had been forgiven much therefore she loved him much she saw what a wretched person she was and where christ had brought her out therefore she loved him after that you will see lazarus when he is resurrected from the dead you will see lazarus is sitting next to jesus till then you don't see him sitting next to jesus mary you will never see her sitting next to jesus sorry martha mary will sit at his feet lazarus will sit next to him martha is busy serving and she is upset because she thinks jesus you should be loving me more than her because i am working for you and she is not god says that's not what i'm looking for i'm looking for people who love me and not work for me first she loves me you don't martha she's got one thing right she loves me you 
You just think about, I mean, if you are a father, you think about you got this three children in the house. One is 15, one is 12, one is one. When you enter the house in the evening, the 15 one comes and says, I finished my homework. The second one says, I put all the dishes. And that one year old one comes running and that's the one you grab first because that one has nothing to give you except love. You say, that's good, that's good and you little one come over here. We want to go before God with all our accomplishment through every day without ever once saying, Father, I love you. I love you. Tell it a hundred times a day. I just love you. I don't care what the world says. I don't care anybody says, you know what, Lord? I love you. Because I remember what I was and what I am. I love you. And I pray, Lord, you give me the strength that I never leave you, nor forsake you. That is why he says, if you love me, if you love me, he doesn't ask anybody else. Crowds followed it. If you love me more than daddy, mommy, husband, wife, brother, sister, children, you cannot be my sister. Okay, okay. What are you coming for? Roti kapada makan? Take it, go. What, do you want? what are you coming for? Lord, I want to be your disciple. You want to be a disciple? One condition. You have to love me more than anybody else. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So you don't have to worry. If you don't love God more than anybody else, you st- he still loves you, but you are not a disciple. You can never become a disciple. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, ultimately you will do what I did. You will lay down your life for your brethren as I lay down my life for my brethren. It's not about dying as a martyr, but laying down your life. If you love me, you will be ready. The five wise were ready. How are they ready? Because they learned from Jesus. They were ready. The five wise were not foolish. They were ready. They, because they loved Jesus. You see, love will make you do a lot of things. Love has its own power to make people do lots of things. Ask young people, oh, they come back from work at two in the morning, they sleep for three hours and they go to work and they have no time until they fall in love. Then they have all the time in the world. They have time to go shopping. They have patience to look for clothes for this girl. What do you like, honey? Your whisper is my command. Love makes people do all kinds of crazy things. I mean, I look at it all and I see it's fun. You see somebody who got married underwater, somebody who got married hanging from the helicopter. Love makes people do crazy stuff. But God says, don't you realize the craziest stuff ever done by anybody because of love was the cross. Nobody has done anything more crazy than that. I'm crazy about you. Look at the cross. I love you. That's why at the cross Jesus stops and says, if you love me, forget all the fear and the terror of the Old Testament and everything. If you don't love me after this, you will not keep my command. Nothing can make you keep. This is the end. If you love me, you will keep my commands. 
she made herself ready. The bride made herself ready. How did she make herself ready? She learned of Jesus. Matthew 11, 29. I'm not going to finish leaving you midway, okay? So let me look at it. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We look at this. Rest. Oh, I want rest. No, that's not how the bride looks. The bride looks and says, you are gentle and lowly. When you read matrimony column of boys, you will say, looking for such a, such a, such a, such a of a girl. Not subcast and cast and cast and cast. Finally, you will be cast out. <laughs> if you have to look for Jesus' matrimonial column, it will say, looking for somebody who is gentle and lowly in heart. If you are smart and you want to be a bride of Christ, you will look at this and say, that's what he's looking for. Lord, that's what I want to be. Because that's what you're looking for. Right? In First Peter chapter 3, verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Today what happens? Because everything is outward, and nothing is inward. All the attraction is outside. From your toenails to your eyebrows to everything is colored. Just to get some attraction. Just look at me and love me. God says. Is it true? Boys. Mohawk and what hawk and M hawk. It is. This craving for attention, all that does it. And there is this man, the man of all men, that one real gentleman. He says, I'm looking for somebody with a meek and a gentle spirit. That's how the bride made herself ready. Have you noticed in all these prayer requests, almost every Sunday, one person consistently writes, give me a meek and a gentle spirit, meek and gentle spirit, meek and gentle spirit, because that person has understood something which we didn't understand. We pray, I read prayers. That's why I am the pastor. Did you see? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ Jesus. Second thing you look and says, you know what? One thing when Jesus looks comes for his meek and a lowly heart and purity. Lord, make me more pure, more pure, more pure, more pure. More pure. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have to be made pure. There was only one who was sinless, Jesus Christ. In Revelation 14, when we get a glimpse of the bride, I looked, behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And then, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. So that doesn't mean they are only men and not women. It means they had been purified, whether they are men or women. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. There is only one person in my life who can go wherever I go. That is my wife, not even my children. Are you getting it? So this is the spouse of Jesus. Goes wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Jesus was the first fruit to the Father. This 
is the first fruit to the lamb and in their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of god by the time they finished they had made themselves blameless so these are smart ones they know what jesus is looking for redemption is one part being ready and being the bride is something else they understood in second peter chapter 3 verse 13 to 15 nevertheless we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our lord is salvation without spot without blameless perspective changes and what motivates you because you love him you love him but you realize he loves you but he loves you as his child he doesn't love you as his wife if you have to be his wife then you need to meet certain parameters and he said i have set the parameters here anybody can be the spouse of my son all are his children who are saved but all will not be the bride of his son you see the parameters set by the father And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will do it if you allow him he will do it you see it falling into place what god is looking for and what makes us long for these things how does he do this he explains in the context of a marriage in ephesians chapter 5 Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy without blemish he himself does it by how by the washing of the water by the word when people come for counseling to me one of the constant complaints wives tell is that my husband is very kind to all the other women but not to me he's always shouting at me because you are the only one he has been called to cleanse not the others people don't understand it what's 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 happening over here i'm not saying irritated and shouting at her i'm not talking about that but the husband is supposed to be the savior of his wife Therefore he is the one who counsels her and constantly through a word correcting and cleansing her exactly as Christ does to the church. That's why in India in our in our tradition the husband is called pati which means savior and the wife is patni. Getting it? That's how Christ does he is cleansing us through the washing of the water by the word so we become spotless blemishless for what that he might present her to himself so i'm cleaning you I'm getting you ready ready on that day when you are ready i will present you to myself you become my bride are you getting the picture i don't want you to go to the next words but remember faith also has a cleansing love also has a cleansing these are two different things faith scripture says if anyone wants to be a noble vessel in the hands of god let him cleanse himself that is the cleansing of faith to be a servant in the hands of god This is the cleansing of love to be the bride of Christ Jesus these are not the same Noah was a noble vessel in God's hands cleansed himself found righteous with God walked with God until his work was over then was found drunk and naked because that was the cleansing connected with work 
Abraham became a noble vessel in his hand, fulfilled God's purpose, brought forward Isaac, brought up Isaac, raised up Isaac, and then when he felt his purpose was over, went and married Keturah, had another five or six more sons who will become the enemies of Israel another day because his cleansing was only for service. There's a difference. It's not the same. It is not the same. Isaac was this incredible man of God, fulfilled all of God's purposes, cleansed himself for that purpose. When he grew old, he thought, okay, I can do what I want. Gideon, once his victory is all over, he turns around and becomes somebody else. Remember, there's a cleansing for service. There's a cleansing for the bride. You want to be the bride of God. It never finishes until the day he comes. You are spotless, you are ready, and only he can do it. You also do not know you are there. What are we looking at? What are we looking at? Perfect picture in the Bible. As I close, is the picture of Isaac. Isaac has come of age. Meaning his time has come. It's the father who decides. Okay. Jesus will come of age. The father will decide. When the father decides my son's marriage wedding is ready, he will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is preparing the bride. So Isaac has come of age and there is Eliezer traveling all the way outside that city. He's waiting. And who comes? Who comes? What is the first thing written about Rebecca? Genesis. There was a young woman who was Beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down the well, filled a pitcher, and came up. What the first thing mentioned about the bride of Christ Jesus? She is beautiful, the beauty that is in her, a meek and a lowly spirit. She is changed, she has laid with no man, and she is a hard-working woman, because love has its works. And the bride is picked. The first thing mentioned about Rebecca. These are all there in the Bible. And we look at it and say, you know what? What is this life? It's nothing. Just like a mist. Just like a vapor. Real life is on that side. Lord, I want to be the bride. Not because of any of this thing about sitting on your throne, but because you loved me so much. No one has loved me the way you have loved Your father will abandon you. Your mother will abandon you. Your spouse may abandon you. Your children may abandon you in your old age. But he said, from your womb to your gray hairs, I am the Lord that carries you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will be with you till your end. Oh Lord, you not only redeemed me, who was unlovable, but you have carried me Carrying me and you will carry me till the last hour. Then carry me across and receive me on the other side. Where can you find somebody like this? Where will you ever find somebody like this? And then you turn around and say, you don't love him? You don't love him? And Paul has something to say about it. He gets really... Stirred up in his spirit and he says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, he ends practically that chapter by saying, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. Let him be cursed. It's a self-inflicted curse. If you do not respond to this love, you ought to be cursed. 
be cursed. This is the love of all loves. And if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, let him be cursed. Come Lord Jesus, I love you. Come Lord Jesus. I love you. I really love you. I love you. The answer to love is only love. Not anything else. It starts with words. I say it very less, but my wife tells me every day, first thing in the morning, she'll come and say, I love you. Last thing in the night, she will tell me, I love you. It has to be said. Tell that to God every day. Like any parent would love their children to come and say, I love you more than showing their certificates. You go to God and tell him hundred times a day, Lord, you know what? I love you. With what is there, I love you. And just see if your love will not increase until you are so crazy about him. Mary experienced Jesus differently. Martha experienced Jesus differently. Lazarus experienced Jesus differently. But Mary loved him most. Therefore she wouldn't leave him. Wherever he was, there he was. Even when the dead body was taken, she was following him, following him. And she's standing against the wall and watching carefully which tomb is he being buried because after the Sabbath is over, day after tomorrow morning, I want to come and anoint his body. Once she comes, she finds the tomb is empty. She tells the disciples, John runs faster than Peter. Everybody comes, looks inside and they go. And they say, John is the one who was the beloved. John left, Peter left, Mary refuses to leave. Why? Because scripture says love is stronger than death. And then she stands there and Jesus looks at her. And she doesn't recognize him. She says, sir, thinking he was the gardener. Where have they hidden my Lord's body so that I can carry it? Oh Mary, where do you have the strength to carry the body of a 33 year old man? Love has its own strength. Its own strength. That's why Jesus said, my commands are not burdensome. Why? Because the very love you have for God and the love God has for you enables you to carry his burdens, carry his commands and they are not burdensome. Every mother I have known in this church, when they were going through labor pains, told me, Pastor, pray, this is the last one, never. One year later, I I want one more. Why? Why? Because you did not think about it as a burden. Oh, you did not think it as a burden. You know, at the end of that is incredible joy. That's what scripture says about Jesus. He endured the cross looking at the joy set before him. Let me ask you this question. What is the joy he will receive after the cross? What he already did not have. King of kings, Lord of lords, son of the living God, very God, whole universe is his footstool and his throne. Everything is is created by him, for him, everything through him. What is that he's going to have if you go through the cross? A wife. He says, for that joy, I endured the cross because on the other side, I see in time, I will have a bride. That's where Paul says, I am a bachelor. Marriage is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The mystery of the ages. Do we love this God? Do we love him? 
Oh, we love him. Church, let's stand up. Got ten minutes to vacate this hall. But we will not vacate him. Never let him go. Awesome God. Oh, we need to give. Love him over and over and over and over again. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. What an awesome God. What a loving God. We were all like Mephisobeth, Lord. Dead dogs. Dead in our trespasses and just dogs. Because your word says dogs will be outside the kingdom. We had no place in the kingdom. Our place was outside the kingdom. Along with the devil and his demons. Dead dog. That's what we were. We don't see it. But that's what we were. Until you came. And you told us what David told Mephisobeth. Come. I'm restoring you back. All that belonged to your father Adam. The right to rule. The right to reign. The right to possess. The authority over all the realm of the king. I will give you back all that belonged to your father. And you will sit at my table. And eat at my table all the days of my life. That's the promise Christ has made to the church. Blessed are the meek in heart, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in the heart, for they shall see God. Help us to see. Help us to see, Lord. Let blindfolds, the blinding of the enemy be broken over the lives of your children in the name of Jesus of Nazareth that they may be able to see what true love is, what true beauty is, what true joy is, what true kindness is, what true mercy is, what true compassion is. Oh, Father, open our eyes that we may behold Jesus. Open our eyes. That we may see the great, awesome calling of God. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That we may love you every day with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Help us Lord, help us. We want to be ready when you come. By being ready every day. Thank you, thank you Father. As we go into another week. I commit your church into thy hands. May the hand of the living God protect them, preserve them, and guide them. Especially those who are taking baptism tomorrow. I pray, Father, you take them into your bosom and you guide them with your eye. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We just bless your holy name. We just bless your holy name. We just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.